Good morning. morning. Welcome to Church of the Palms. My name is Lindsay Kagan. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. As we prepare for worship, let us bow our heads in prayer. Holy God, you sent your son to be baptized among sinners to seek and save the lost. May we who have been baptized in his name never turn away from the world, but reach out in love to rescue the wayward. By the mercy of Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Now, as we worship together, may our hearts receive his Holy Spirit, our ears listen to his word, and our voices be raised in praise to the glory of God. Thank you. Come together to work so that face to face we can instruct our hands to build a house of grace. For every one of us here is a dwelling place, and we are assembled for a holy city. Alleluia, 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 alleluia. Holy city, alleluia, 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 alleluia. 
stand for call to worship. 
We gather together to worship God, the shepherd of our souls, the one who has created us, who sustains us, who redeems us, who walks beside us in good times and bad, and who calls us to follow. This is our God. Let us worship him together. Now this is the gospel message we've heard from him and announced to you. God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and yet keep walking in the darkness, we are lying and not practicing the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. Let us confess our sin. Oh God, baptism We confess that we remain preoccupied with ourselves, separate from sisters and brothers in Christ. We cling to destructive habits, hold grudges, and show reluctance to welcome one another. We allow the past to hold us hostage, and your loving kindness have mercy on us and free us from sin. Remind us of the promises you make in baptism so that we may rise to new life and live together in grace. In Jesus' name, amen. We know that everything done wrong, our thoughts, words, and actions are all forgiven by the grace of God. Friends, believe the good news of the gospel. In Jesus' Christ.
And now let us say what we believe using the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And now we invite you to turn and greet your neighbors. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning. morning. Welcome to Church of the Palms. We are so glad you're here with us on this nice balmy day in Florida. Feels like summertime in Michigan, I'll tell (laughs) you. Speaking of Michigan, I've had several people ask me if I was going to comment on the Orange Bowl. And my only comment on that is that is so 2016. I'm a man of the future. Let's move ahead, people. So with that in mind, we'd love for you to fill out the friendship pads in the pews and pass those along to your neighbor. We are delighted if you happen to be visiting with us today, especially if you're coming to us from a far ways away. We're glad that you're here. Or maybe even if you're here from right around the corner, we want this to be a place of welcome, and we hope that you will find this to be a place where you can be a part of the family of God and be connected to God's people. One way to do that is to take a look at all the opportunities that are presented in our bulletin today, and especially on pages eight and nine, you will see opportunities that you'll have to perhaps uh, carry out one of those New Year's resolutions, which is to sort of turn over a new leaf, maybe uh, do something new and different, perhaps deepen your spiritual life, and we would love for you to do that with us. Lots of opportunities there. A new class that just began this past week. You're not too late in joining us on Finding Freedom in a Jail, looking at some of the correspondence, some of the significant correspondence from the New Testament that came from jail. 
as well as some of our more uh, recent and modern Christian leaders and the messages that they delivered to us from uh, incarceration. So it's been a great class. A lot of people are there, but there's still room for you to come and join us in the chapel every Wednesday evening. And also included on pages eight and nine are uh, new book studies and other opportunities, a pilgrimage to Scotland and Narnia. We'd love to have you come and join us for that. So we would uh, love for you to pay attention to those announcements. Next Sunday, January 15th, week from today, we will be breaking ground in the back 40 of our campus for our new Palm Center. So please come and join us at uh, 945. So if you come to the nine o'clock service, you won't be too late uh, because we'll be moving from here right out to the back of our campus and breaking ground there. But uh, if you happen to be a regular 11 o'clock worshiper, you wanna make sure to come and be with us at least by 945 as we take uh, this next great step in our church's uh, life and ministry and as we open up yet another set of doors to our community next Sunday. Bob Barson, who is the chair of our generosity team, is here to give you a little update as to how we are doing and how we are processing with all of what we have to do in ministry for 2017. Thank you, Steve. Good morning. I wanted to give you an end of year update on our campaign. Uh, as you know, we had an objective in the fourth quarter of $753,000, or about 30% of our annual budget, which has been the typical giving towards the fourth quarter uh, the last couple of years. Uh, this year we came in slightly short at $729,000 which we think is very good. Our full year budget is $2,440,000. Apologize for all these numbers. I'm gonna give you one number in a second to remember. So we finished the year at $2,416,000 or 99% of our budget, which we think is very, very good. Also in light of that you as a congregation gave over $1.7 million to the uh, capital campaign. So on behalf of the church and the, and the generosity team, thank you very much for your support. That is spectacular news. Yes. The generosity of this congregation is always overwhelming uh, to witness, and so we're grateful for your generosity, especially as we move into 2017 and uh, see the new signs of new growth here. We're looking forward to your participating with us in that way. You have probably already figured out that today is Student Ministry Sunday, and this is the chance when we have to focus upon our student ministry and all the great things that are happening. We're grateful for our student leaders here today. You'll see in the flyer in your bulletin that there are a list of all those who are gonna be participating in trips, and Jacob Orr is gonna be talking about that in a minute. We're also grateful to have Sarasota Young Voices with us this morning, leading us in worship. So would you give everybody a round of applause for their great efforts? And I'd like to invite Jacob Orr to come forward to share with us a little bit about what's going on in student ministry. Well, good morning, everyone. I am happy to be here. My name is Jacob Orr. I am the youth director here at Church of the Palms. Um, behind me are just a few of the students that are actively involved here on campus. Uh, we have Parker McHenry, Lindsey Kagan, Ricky Streb, Jake Day, and Stephanie Shatea. Um, each year, our students volunteer hundreds of hours here at Church of the Palms, from setting up for events, running media, serving as waiters and waitresses, aiding family province, and even occasionally landscaping. Our students live with servant hearts here at Church of the Palms for this church and this community. 
It is for them and the rest of the student ministry that I stand before you today. As Steve mentioned, today is Student Sunday, and it marks the kickoff to our student sponsorship drive. In short, the fundraiser helps support our summer mission trips and spiritual retreats. However, when you give to this ministry, you are committing to so much more than just summer trips. Yes, when you give your free time to serve or make a financial contribution, you are investing in something that is invaluable and immeasurable, the faith of these students. I don't know if you've ever witnessed a young person dedicate their life to God, but I have. That very action is the reason I surrendered my future to God and pursued a calling in youth ministry. When I accepted Christ into my life, I was radically changed in ways I never imagined. My whole mind was transformed and my eyes were opened to the realization that in every moment God is present and that his will is greater than my own. But the coolest part about God's calling on my life as a youth minister is not my testimony, but my witness. You want to know why the youth group has doubled in size? It's because these students are not ashamed of the gospel, and they went out of their ways to invite their friends to youth group, many of which were not involved in a church prior to being invited. And the reason we had to increase the size of every single one of their trips is because these students went out and shared the life-changing experiences that took place, and their friends longed for the same. These students don't just go through the motions of being a part of a youth group. They are actively seeking God, and they are actively making his name known to those around them. Many people want to write off the millennials, and quite frankly, over the years, I had my doubts. But in the past couple years, those doubts have subsided. Just a couple days ago, I had the privilege of joining seven of our students, along with 55,000 other college-age students in the Georgia Dome in Atlanta, for what was basically a modern-day revival. Thousands of students surrendered their life to Christ, and student, including some of our own. And in addition, this generation sponsored over 20,000 impoverished children around the world. What I'm trying to convey by telling you this is that when you choose to sponsor these students, this ministry, and this generation, you are investing in God's story and not just a program. Yes, a large part of your financial gifts will go towards our summer trips, but these trips are in essence a week-long opportunities for students to forget about the world and focus solely on their relationship with God and one another. Personally, I became a youth pastor because I believe that there is nothing more important to me than the salvation of others, especially the next generation. If you read in Psalm 102, the psalmist instructs us halfway through his prayer in verse 18 to let his prayer be written for a future generation, a people not yet created, that they may praise the Lord. You can help accomplish this very prayer by contributing to the sponsorship drive, whether that means your financial support, your prayers, or volunteering your time and gifts with this ministry. When you help sponsor these students, you are in essence allowing me to create opportunities for these students to both hear and receive the gospel of Christ. And if you were to ask me if there is anything more important in this world to invest in, I would look you in the eyes and say no. So how can you make a donation? Financially, you should have received a letter in the mail, or if you look at the pew in front of you, you should find a card you can fill out and drop in the offering plate. If you would like to contribute your time and talents with this ministry, just contact myself or Lori Haas, and we will make sure your talents and gifts get put to good use. To close, consider what Jesus told his disciples in John 15:5: I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. With your help, I will do everything in my power and companion with the Holy Spirit to see to it that every single one of these students has the opportunity to know the love, mercy, and grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. For apart from him, we truly can do nothing. So on behalf of the entire student ministry here at Church of the Palms, I just want to say from the bottom of my heart, thank you for all your support, and God bless you and your loved ones. Thank you.
Good morning. Will you pray with me? Dear Lord, we come before you today to lift up our prayers. We pray for our community, that we are able to support one another and spread your love to everyone we encounter with both our words and our deeds. We pray for our schools, that your presence would be evident and infectious. We pray for the physical and spiritual health of our loved ones. We pray for our armed forces who sacrifice their time efforts, and in some cases, their lives, to ensure the freedoms we have in this nation. We pray for all those who are spiritually and physically impoverished around the world, those who are oppressed and mistreated. Lastly, we pray for these students, that they would put their relationship with you first and realize that apart from you, we can do nothing. We lift all of these prayers, along with those unspoken in our hearts and minds, up to you, O Lord. We trust that you will receive these prayers and answer them according to your will. Amen.
Now let us pray together in the words taught to us by our Lord Jesus Christ. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Continue our worship through the presentation of our tithes and gifts and offerings.
Let us pray. God, you have given each of us gifts to use as members of the body of Christ. Here are our gifts, the work of our hands, our hearts, and our lives. We pray that they may help to bring the good news of Jesus Christ to our world, today and always, here and forever. Amen. You may be seated. I would like to invite the children forward for the children's moment. All right, guys. All the kids near and far, if you want to come up on, we've got something wonderful planned. guys. Everyone want to come in the middle here? It's kind of chilly out, but that's okay. We thank God for the weather and it's not something worse. All right. So it's 2017, right? A new year, and today we're going to be talking a little bit about a new beginning. It's kind of like, what I, like I said, the beginning of a brand new year. And the new year it's a time when we can forget about our past mistakes and we can hit the reset button and we can look forward to the new opportunities that lie ahead of us. It's a time of new beginnings. Jesus experienced new times of new beginnings in his life too. And we're gonna show you just a little bit of what that looked like. First though, let's, let, let's back up a little. We just celebrated the birth of Jesus, right? Remember the candles and we had this great celebration of his arrival, the son of God. But we know that Jesus grew up. He grew into a man. And just about the time when he was about to start ministering to the world, a very interesting man named John was telling people to repent and change their ways. So you see this guy, John the Baptist, was a prophet, and he spent his life listening to God. He was preparing the people for Jesus' arrival. John the Baptist was kind of a recluse. He sort of isolated himself. He lived alone in the desert. He ate grasshoppers and honey and wore the same clothes of scratchy camel's hair with tied a rope around his waist all the time. He was a smart man and taught the people that they must prepare the way for the Lord, turn from your sinful ways. And he told the people that you will see God's salvation. Soon you'll see God's salvation. <laughs> <laughs> when the crowd heard this, they were frightened. They wanted the Lord to know that they loved him, so they asked John, what should we do? <laughs> and John said, you should share. The one who has two coats should share with his friend. And you must be honest with taxes and money. Don't take more than your share. Don't steal from people. And when someone asks you what happened, tell the truth. The Lord hates it when you lie. If you're willing to change that, then come be baptized. When all the people had been baptized, Jesus was then baptized by John the Baptist. And when Jesus came out of the water, the Holy Spirit came upon him in the form of a dove. Can you guys picture this, this elegant, this beautiful dove? <laughs> then a voice came from heaven and said, you are my son, who I love. With you, I am well pleased. And this event marked the beginning of Jesus' ministry on earth. And once God sent the Spirit upon Jesus, he began to perform great miracles. And from this new beginning, people began to understand that Jesus was truly the Son of God, and as they began, they would follow him. Will you guys pray with me? Dear Father, thank you for new beginnings, and help us to make the most of them, not through our own strength, but for this, from but through the, the power of the Spirit that dwells within us from you. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. If you guys want to come on over here. be seated. You know that little drama they just did? It, it happened just that way. I just want you to know that. So. It is good to be in a new year and with Christmas and New Year's just behind us, we now find ourselves ensconced in the New Testament and we are in the season now of exploring the life and ministry of Jesus. We have been over these last several months in the Old Testament charting the narrative of God as it makes its way into this point now that Jesus has arrived on the scene. The angels have announced his birth. The shepherds have worshipped him. Last week, Anna and Simeon have received him as God's promised Messiah. So today, Jesus, as was mentioned, is an adult, and he arrives on the scene and begins his preaching and miracle making. And with that, we are beginning a sermon series 
entitled, It's Bigger Than You. It is bigger than you. One of the great discoveries of life is the discovery that it is not all about you. That's a very difficult thing to internalize, especially when you're young, two years old, 16 years old, 50 years old. As human beings, you know, kind of from the very beginning, we want the world to be about us. But if there's anything about the story of Jesus and the teaching of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus is this great truth that it is bigger than you. Life is bigger than you. The kingdom of heaven, of course, is bigger than you. In fact, joy, the great joy of living, comes when you realize that your purpose in life is found outside of yourself. Joy is found outside of yourself. We're going to wonder about that over the next several weeks. But to begin, ironically, we have to start the story with this great character, John the Baptist, who is here to say to us initially that, in fact, it is about us. John's message is about each and every one of us, very pointed words that he has to say to us and about us. Today, John the Baptist wants to make it shall we say, uncomfortably about you. So with that, the words of scripture that we are focusing on today are from Luke chapter three, beginning at the first verse. Hear the word of God. In the 15th year of the reign of the emperor Tiberius, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea and Herod was ruler of Galilee and his brother Philip, ruler of the region of Iteria and Trachonitis and Lasanius, ruler of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John of Zechariah in the wilderness. He went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah, the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall be made straight and the rough ways made smooth and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. John said to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come, bear fruits worthy of repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our ancestor, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the ax is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Mm. And the crowds asked him, what then should we do? And reply, he said to them, whoever has two coats must share with everyone who has none, and whoever has food must do likewise. Even tax collectors come to be baptized, and they asked him, teacher, what should we do? And he said to them, collect no more than the amount prescribed for you. Soldiers also asked him, and what should we do? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusations, and be satisfied with your wages. As the people were filled with expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Messiah, John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water, but the one who's more powerful than I is coming. I'm not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather his wheat into his granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So, 
With many other exhortations, he proclaimed the good news to the people. Herod, the ruler who had been rebuked by him because of Herodias, his brother's wife, and because of all the evil things that Herod had done, added to them all by shutting up John in prison. Now when all the people were baptized and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, the beloved. With you, I am well pleased. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. By your grace and through your mercy, we pray that as hard as these words are that come from John the Baptist, we too, like those who heard them for the first time, we too would receive them as good news by your Holy Spirit. And in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray, amen. Finding a little cold here. So that's just fair warning. If you don't want to greet me afterwards, I understand. <laughs> it has been a little over 10 years since the French sculptor Armand passed away. He was 76 years old. And unless you are a student or a fan of modern art, or should I say avant-garde art, you will then not likely find this name Armand as a familiar name. I didn't know about him, but I noticed his obituary way back when, and the byline that went with it that said, Armand, trash and found object sculptor. Trash and found object sculptor. This caused me to want to read ahead and to dig further in to, and to learn that Armand made his name in the art world because of the material he used for his art. The material or the medium that Armand used to sculpt his sculptures was junk. The stuff that you and I throw away, the stuff that you and I take to the dump, the stuff that you and I took up, put out for our garage sales that does not get sold. It is the very stuff that Armand used to create his sculptures, squeezed out paint tubes, abandoned cars, old buttons, type writers, thrown away medical instruments, car parts, bicycles. He would manip manipulate them into the form in his mind and add them into his great vision of art. Admirers of Armand's vision and those who appreciated his unusual art remained in a significant minority in the art community. It was hard to know really what he was trying to say. Most though agreed that there was something deeply philosophical or theological perhaps in his effort to take all those things that did not matter anymore. All those things that folks thought worthy to throw away and to turn them into pieces of art, to take all the things that do not matter and to turn them into something that matters. 
I suppose it could be readily agreed that we do live in a, a society where it is fairly easy to render things as not mattering anymore. We live in the throwaway age. We live in the disposable days. If you need evidence of that, take a drive out to the end of Bee Ridge Road and you will find one of the only mountains in Sarasota. Mountain is overstating it. One of the very big hills, we call it now Rothenbach Park, but long ago it was called the dump. A mountain of junk that turned into a landfill that now has turned into a beautiful park. But still a mountain. A mountain of things that didn't matter anymore. The time it took me to write this sermon, I filled my garbage can next to my desk half full with stuff that did not matter to me anymore, including the first three drafts of this sermon. <laughs> to live in a disposable society is to realize, though, that there is a temptation for each of us to widen our scope and respect the things that do not matter. In fact, we can widen our scope so wide as to say that maybe life itself, our earthly existence, really doesn't matter. It's the age-old philosophical and existential question. Does life really have any meaning? Or are we, at the end of the day, just one more thing to get thrown onto the landfill? It is, I suppose, what was happening in the Garden of Eden long ago when man and woman were created. Scripture says that when God created human beings, he created them in his image. It's another way of saying that when God created men and women, he created them in such a way as that they mattered. They mattered perhaps most of all. They were an extension of him. They were created in God's image. You matter to me, God said in the Garden of Eden. It matters who you are. It matters what you do. Then as the story goes, the serpent slips into the garden and the temptation begins. And the core of the temptation is this message to Adam and Eve that who they are and, and what they do, oh, it, it, it doesn't really matter. Go ahead, Satan says to them, go ahead, do whatever you want, be whatever you want to be, because it doesn't matter. Don't worry about doing what God wants you to do, because, you know, it doesn't really matter. And of course, the implied message is that Adam and Eve don't matter. And that has been the struggle of human existence ever since, trying to decide whether or not we really matter. Enter then the stage of one John the Baptist. John the Baptist walks onto the stage in his first century wild uniform of leather and camel's hair, and he begins to preach that the time is soon to come when the Messiah will arrive, and he preaches and practices a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. His is the voice crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, repent, turn your life around, get with the program. John is this over-the-top preacher, kind of this preacher that grabs your attention, leaves nothing for interpretation. Repent. Turn your life around. Get with the program. And don't you wonder 
if what John is trying to say is that it matters. You really matter. It matters what you do. It matters what you say. It matters who you are. In other words, the stakes are raised. A new value has been set. No such thing as junk anymore. Each and every one of us is the medium of a brilliant piece of art. And the crowds ask, well, what then should we do? And John says to them, well, well whoever has, has two coats, guess what? Both those coats matter. The one you wear and the one you're going to give to somebody else. And they say, well, then what else? And they say, you know, it goes the same way with food. We eat what you need, but then give the rest to somebody else. Tax collectors must do the best in their tax collecting. Soldiers must not extort by threats or false accusations. Be satisfied with your wages, John says. You should not, we could not get away from John without realizing that everything we are, everything we do matters. If you have two coats, it matters what you do with them. If you have more than enough food, it matters what you do with that food. You see, John is here to call us back into the Garden of Eden because in the Garden of Eden, everything we are and everything we do matters. And the reason John calls us there to this place where everything matters is because the one who made all that matters, the one whose image we bear, the one who was there at the very beginning, this very one, John knows, is coming onto the stage. Jesus is arriving onto the stage. And when Jesus steps onto the stage, when the Messiah stands front and center, well then, Everything matters. In Eden, you see the old man, Adam, gave away to the temptation that, that his life didn't matter, but then Jesus walks into the Jordan River, this everlasting man, this new Adam, who announces, guess what? No more junk. Every bit of human life matters. Remember when you were in school and the teacher was lecturing and trying to explain a, a problem or a concept and it never failed that someone in, in their class raised, maybe it was you, raised their hand and asked the proverbial middle school question, do we need to know if this is, do we, is this something going to be on the test? <laughs> Jesus walks on the stage and says, guess what? It matters. It all matters. Everything is going to be on the test. Because you see, in Christ, God seeks to elevate once again what it means to be a human being. He wants to show that our lives are, are made with consequence. It matters the kind of person you are. It matters what kinds of things you do. And that's the good news. It reminds me of that story I read a while back about the two brothers, John and Greg Rice, who lived over on the, on the East Coast in West Palm Beach. John and Greg were two perfectly normal men, except for one thing, they were dwarves. They grew only to be two feet, 10 inches. But that wasn't the bad news. The, the bad news was, was that when they were born, their mother abandoned them in the hospital, discarded them. They didn't excuse the phrase, measure up. For eight months, authorities tried to find a home for these cast-off children, and after eight months, a Pentecostal Christian family stepped forward and claimed them, made them their children, and as those dwarfs grew older and started their way into the world and into the 
unkind regions of childhood. They got their fair share of shunning and kidding and abuse. And, and when they felt like they just couldn't go back out into that world, their mother, their good Christian mother, sat them down and told them that God had made them different. God had made them smaller, but smaller doesn't necessarily mean lesser. Sometimes it means more. And she pulled out a nickel and she pulled out a dime and asked which was the bigger. They said the nickel, which was worth more, the dime. So she said, you have to think of yourselves as a couple of dimes and a handful of nickels. It's not your size that makes your worth. It's your God, she said, that makes your worth. So Jesus walks onto the stage and says, my being here tells you what you're worth. My being here tells you that you matter to God. My being here tells you that what you do and who you are, it matters. It makes me think of Cliff Richard. A small group of us may remember that name, Cliff Richard, one of the pioneers of rock and roll over in Great Britain before the Beatles arrived in Liverpool. Cliff Richard was rocking the British Empire. He was the British rocker who was knighted by the Queen a few years before, Paul McCartney. Cliff Richard was known to be kind of a nasty boy of rock and roll, but in 1964, he had been introduced to this Jesus. Jesus had stepped into his life and told Cliff Richard that his life mattered for more than what he thought. And after giving his life to Christ, it wasn't long after that that he began to dedicate his life to Christian relief efforts to parts of the world like the Sudan and back then Bangladesh. His, he was this huge rock figure, but now he realized that life mattered more than that. On one of his trips, he was overwhelmed by the physical disease endured by families and children. It was even hard for him to look at, not, not to even mention getting close to. He wanted to get close to it, but was afraid to. And then he recounts one moment when he was bending down to be next to a little child for the photographer's benefit, not getting too close, when somebody in the crowd stepped on the child's fingers and the child screamed. And as a reflex, Cliff Richard says, I grabbed hold of him, forgetting about all those dirty sores. And I remember now that little warm body clinging to me and how when I held him, his crying instantly stopped. And in that moment, I knew what God was up to. Every human life matters. When someone asked Cliff Richard why he did so much when the payoff seemed to be so little in the face of such overwhelming need, wasn't it, the critics said, just a drop in the bucket? Oh, drop it may be, he said, but at least the bucket is moist. Life has a way, doesn't it, of suggesting to us that we are of less value than what we really are. The serpent wants to slither into our lives and remind us again and again that we don't matter, that just, just a drop in the bucket and life just ain't worth it. 
But hear the good news. God has entered the world. He has entered the world. He has come down. And with that, he has raised the stakes. God has a stake in you, and he has a stake in me, because there is nothing more that matters to him than who his children are and what his children do.
Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with you now and forevermore. Amen.